Listener Production. Hello and welcome to The Briefing. Tom Tilly with you. It is a huge week in America. Tuesday their time is the midterm elections. So why should you care here in Australia? Well, we've got one of Australia's biggest US political nerds to answer that question, why we should care. It's Chaz from The Chaser. There's one major reason why you should care about the US midterms, and that is if you care about democracy around the world at all. Now, maybe you don't. Maybe you're a big fan of dictatorships. <laughs> and then if you are, then there's no need to care at all. Yeah, it's a really interesting interview with Chaz Licadello about the plans by several Republican candidates, um, something I hadn't heard about before, actually. We'll also explain what the midterms actually are and how they work. It is quite similar to the Australian process, except for the fact there's a president over the top. They hold all these elections at the same time, in much the same way as we hold our House of Reps and Senate elections at the same time. That is our briefing on the US midterms right after today's headlines, for which I'm joined by Antoinette Latouf. It is Tuesday, the 8th of November. Big news on the Medibank data hack. They've revealed that almost 10 million current and former customers were hacked, so it's a pretty similar size to the Optus hack. It also includes about 300,000 customers of its budget AHM brand. I unreservedly apologise to our customers. I'm devastated that our customers have been put in this position and we'll do everything we can at Medibank to inform our customers of the information we know and let them know how we can be there to support them. So that's the CEO of Medibank, David Koskar. He also said yesterday that the hackers demanded a ransom and that they refused to pay it. So that's a, a really interesting decision, one that was supported by the government. Um, there is a potential class action happening now. Two law firms are working on that. Uh, there is also an AFP investigation underway. One thing I've noticed about this one, Antoinette, is that the Labor government haven't been out smashing them as hard over this. If you remember back to when the Optus breach happened, they were standing up in Parliament, thumping the desk, slamming Optus for their data breach. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure exactly why that is um, or no. whether that's still coming because it is about the same size in terms of the data breach. About mm. 200 gigabytes of data was stolen. I know there was all this um, commentary about licences and some state governments came out and said, we'll reissue. Others are saying, well, no, Optus should have to pay for the reissuing of licences. But in this case, Medibank has confirmed that some passport numbers and even visa details of international students have been taken by the hacker. I'm not sure exactly why the inaction, given um, in both cases, it's a huge data breach involving things like licence numbers and passport numbers. And the Sri Lankan cricketer accused of sexual assault has been suspended from all forms of cricket and refused bail. So Danushka Gunatilika was charged with four counts of sexual intercourse without consent in Sydney. And he was here, of course, for the T20 World Cup. So this means the 31-year-old will spend at least the next two months in custody and his case is adjourned until January, uh, while the rest of the Sri Lankan team has flown home without him. And Tom, um, the bail application was actually made behind closed doors and the prosecutors requested suppression orders as well as a closed courtroom. But um, outside of court, his lawyer has indicated they'll likely be appealing the decision in the New South Wales Supreme Court. 
Scott Morrison's been warned by the Attorney-General not to release any more information on previous Cabinet decisions during his time in government. So this warning is a reaction to the information Scott Morrison gave to the authors of the book Plagued. It was the disclosures in this book that led to the secret ministry controversy. And Mark Dreyfus says several of these disclosures related to alleged sensitive cabinet affairs and that he trusts, well, I think he hopes, no further disclosures which could undermine national security will happen. Yeah, it was a very stern letter from the Attorney-General Mark Dreyfus. Um, I mean, the whole thing was an absolute debacle. It didn't play out in Scott Morrison's interest to make those disclosures either um, because the first one about the health and finance ministries um, was one thing, but then it turned out he'd secretly taken a bunch of other cabinet positions as well. So we actually interviewed one of the authors, Simon Benson, about that book on the briefing on August 25, if you want to go back to it. I'll be interested to see if Scott Morrison um, gives any public statements hitting back at the Attorney-General or whether he'll just leave it at this. A new data is out showing the Teal Independents spent $10 million in the run-up to May's election. So almost $6 million was from Simon Holmes Accord's Climate 200, with Atlassian's Scott Farquhar and Mike Cannon-Brooks donating more than $2.5 million between them. And Allegra Spender, who unseated Dave Sharma in Sydney's eastern suburb seat of Wentworth, she spent the most of any independent at just over $2 million. Yeah, that's a pretty big amount of money when you compare it to, say, Di Lee, who was an independent in Western Sydney who wasn't part of this Climate 200 group. She spent 160000 <laughs> You've got Allegra Spender spending over $2 million. The name is obviously fantastic. Um <laughs> Monique Ryan, who took the uh, ex-treasurer Josh Frydenberg's seat uh, in Kooyong in Melbourne, also spent around $2 million. So basically what we're learning is the Teals, some of them in particular, had some big money behind them. So let's have a look at the Climate 200 group, which donated to 19 campaigns um, with the candidates promoting climate action, nine of which were won and 10 of which were lost. Uh, so $4.6 million was spent on the nine of which were won and $1.3 million was spent on the 10 that lost. So, Tom, just doing basic maths, could it be argued, you know, the more you spend, the more likely you are to win a seat? Or they back the right horses with their spending. Um, I mean, the whole thing raises mm -hmm. question marks about buying your way into politics. So there's, you know, I guess more debate about disclosures, about the amount of spending um, per candidate. But you do have to remember back to Clive Palmer. He spent tens of millions of dollars, if not more than 100, and he didn't win any seats. So it does come down to the candidates and their policies and the quality of their campaign. And it's pretty clear that these Teal Independents really nailed their, their campaigns and that's why mm. there's so many of them in Parliament right now. Some political um, experts are suggesting, though, that spending this kind of amount of money um, is starting to make politics very inaccessible to the average person and are recommending some reviews, including limits on how much parties can spend and how much candidates can spend, um, because that would then have a greater chance of reducing the influence of money in politics. All right, we'll catch you later, Antoinette. I'm about to go deep on the US midterms with Chaz Licadello.
All right, so in just over 24 hours, Americans will go to the polls to vote in their midterms. They're called midterms because they're halfway through the presidential term. So to explain how these elections work and what we should keep an eye on, um, we've got Chaz Licadello joining us. He first became famous as one of the original Chaser Boys in the 2000s. These days, it's still a fun show, but it's a bit more serious. Um, he hosts a show about US politics on the ABC. It's called Planet America. Chaz, thanks so much for joining us on The Briefing. No problems. So I guess by doing this interview, we're sort of implying to our our listeners right now that this is worth knowing about, worth caring about. So is it? I mean, why should we care about the US midterms? There's one major reason why you should care about the US midterms, and that is if you care about democracy around the world at all. Now, maybe you don't. Maybe you're a big fan of dictatorships. <laughs> and if you are, then there's no need to care at all. Just sit back and enjoy the direction the world is moving. But if you care about democracy, then you would probably care about what's happening to America at the moment because America is flirting with moving into a whole new part of the cycle. This is the not such a fun part of the cycle where things start to all fall apart. The midterms could be a critical part of that process. Okay, so let's get to the basics and then work back to this drastic conclusion that you're fearing. So basically, we're talking about the election of the two houses of Congress, the House of Reps and the Senate. Um, It's all of the seats in the House of Reps, uh, about a third of the Senate. So in a way, not that different to our um, normal elections here, but the key difference in America, of course, is they also have a presidential election, which we had two years ago. So explain a little bit about how it works, particularly in regards to the two separate elections and how they interplay. Look, you've summed it up very nicely there. It is quite similar to the Australian process, except for the fact there's a president over the top. They hold all these elections at the same time. In much the same way as we hold our House of Reps and Senate elections at the same time, they hold their congressional and third of the Senate elections at the same time, which means a lot of the states don't have a Senate election at the moment. It's just one-third of the Senate seats, so that since each state has two senators, that means two-thirds of the states have one Senate election at the same time as the entire Congress has their election. And uh, even though the president is not on the ballot, the president's really on the ballot. (laughs) Like you're not voting for the president, but, you know, I think we're all aware that Americans are a little bit ignorant about their politics. They have no idea often who their congressional representative is. So even though the president is not on the piece of paper there, they're thinking of the president when they're voting. So Biden does have a lot on the line as far as the result goes. Okay, so how do you build that into such a a gloomy prediction for democracy? I'm guessing that you're really concerned about Trump continuing his lie about the 2020 election being stolen, the Republicans swinging behind that and winning a bunch of seats in these midterms this week, causing chaos in the Congress based on a lie. That's some people's theory. That's not my theory. Okay. My theory is slightly more complicated, but only slightly. Trump actually doesn't care what happens in this particular election because he personally is not being voted on and that's as far as he thinks about things. He just thinks, are they voting for me? No, I don't care. It's not Trump per se, but there are a lot of people running for election in this election who are of the 
big lie school who don't really believe in democracy and they are running to be in charge of the elections process in the next presidential election. It's a completely partisan process. There's nothing nonpartisan about it at all. There's no AEC in America which is looking after their elections like there is for us. It is politicians deciding what's going to happen. Wow. Okay. So it's not just a risk of these Republicans campaigning on the lie and gaining popularity based on that lie. They actually want to bring in changes in their own states to the electoral system for the next presidential election, potentially without the oversight of the courts. That is correct. That's the problem. It's it's not about them winning a mandate. That's a very democratic thing to want. I've got no problems with that. Like if, if people want to vote for them, then vote for them. That's fine. The problem is once some of these people are in power, they're going to stop you voting for other people. That's the problem. That's what we're on the precipice of now. There, there are at least three states that are true swing states in the next presidential election that may be controlled by people who refuse to allow the other side to win the next election, no matter what the result is. So Trump running again and, you know, potentially winning, you're okay with that if it follows democracy in terms of fair elections, essentially, at the core of that. But if you've got, say, three states in the, I guess, scenario that you're outlining wouldn't be holding fair elections, that could decide who the next president is. Yes. And I'll even tell you what those states are. They're Arizona, Nevada, and Wisconsin. You should really look out for those three states over over this next election to see who it is who ends up winning Secretary of State in particular because the Secretary of State, confusingly, we associate Secretary of State at a national level with being their foreign secretary, Mm. their, their chief diplomat. At the state level, the Secretary of State is the person who runs the elections. That's actually the most important position. And also the governor as well, because the governor can often sack the Secretary of State. Depending on each state, they have different rules. These seemingly nobodies, like no one knows who the Secretary of State candidate for Arizona is, these seeming nobodies actually have massive amounts of power in the American system. So something we haven't quite explained there is that these state positions are being voted on in the midterms as well. It's not just the House of Reps and a third of the Senate at the national level. You're right. At the same time as they have these national elections, they also have the governorship elections, which is like the premier of their state. And they also have the deputy governor and the attorney general, who's the chief law enforcement officer of each state, and also the secretary of state, which is the person who runs the elections. So all these elections happen at the same time. Their elections, you think our ballot papers are long. You should see what theirs are like. <laughs> they, just, they just vote for everything. They vote for judges. They vote for, they vote for everything. So they, there's a lot of options during the midterms for particular people you could vote for. So, Chaz, your fears would be fairly unrealistic, I imagine, in these three states if the Democrats were really popular and were going to blow their Republican competitors out of the water. Now, clearly they're not. So how are the Democrats tracking popularity-wise? And if they are unpopular in those particular states, why is that? Democrats are generally tracking very poorly. And in all the swing states, they are not doing great. They'll be lucky to win any of those contests. Uh, The reason for that is very, very standard politics. Uh, The economy is terrible and they blame the incumbent for that. And not without reason. I think it's fair to say that Joe Biden has 
done things as president and the Democrat Congress that's in charge at the moment have done things that have resulted in worse outcomes than could have happened. So, for instance, they have a very high inflation rate, which all around the world countries have high inflation rates, but the American inflation rate is higher than, say, Australia's or New Zealand's or Japan's. It's fair to say that the Democrats have spent a lot of money and they've passed a lot of bills which probably have made some of the inflation situation worse. People blame the Democrats for that. And as a result of that, their petrol prices are extremely high, which in America makes all the difference in elections. Right. But this happens almost every midterm, doesn't it? That a president gets in from one side and then there seems to be some sort of retaliation to them because they're now the incumbent and after two years there's enough chinks in the armour to start poking holes right through to the, the body. Is this just, I, I guess, the normal kind of swings that we see in a midterm against the now incumbent president or is there something more to it this time? There's something more. There's something more. They're, they're, you're absolutely right that as a general rule of thumb, the midterms are bad for the incumbent president's party. They usually swing against them. They, they, America has these two chunks of voters on either side, Republicans and Democrats, who are never going to support anyone but their party, but, and they have this very small group of independents in the middle. But those group of independents swing pretty much every election. Normally, you'd lose, say, 20 seats in the, in the House there, their lower house. Mm. Uh, like they have a small loss pretty much every time. But this particular occasion, it's worse than normal uh, because of what I just described. Mm. So, for instance, normally you'd have the president have about probably 44 or 45% approval at the midterms time because they'd, they'd start off with a 55% approval and they'd, they'd lose probably 10 points and they'd lose and they, their party would lose a few seats because of it. In this particular occasion, Joe Biden's cruising at about 39% approval. Mm-hmm. So it's worse than it would normally be. How this translates to seats is very tough to know, but Joe Biden's potentially looking at a worse loss than you would normally get in the midterms. When you asked before, why should we care? Mm. I, I said the reason why we should care is because things may be moving in a direction that somewhere down the track in eight years' time or in 10 years' time, when people who we have no idea at the moment are in power, things may have been set up so they can completely fall apart. And that is not something you can usually say with American elections. But on this particular occasion, I think you can say that. We are getting very, very close to that situation. And so that's why people should care, even if they're not in American politics. American politics is the most entertaining. It's better than any movie. It's a very, (laughs) very entertaining soapy. But if you're not into the entertainment of politics, I get that. Not everyone's a nerd like I am. But this is the reason why I think everyone should at least take a slight interest in the outcome of this seemingly inconsequential election. It may not be inconsequential at all on this particular occasion. Yeah, well, then you also just a few minutes ago described how messy the political process is in America, which for the people who at the start of the interview, you said, well, if you prefer dictatorships, you don't really need to care those people yeah. might, if they're still listening, think, see, this is why. <laughs> Give us a dictatorship. Well, it's so messy. It's funny you mention that because that is exactly what we're seeing in polls in America. Increasingly, we are seeing, especially amongst the young, increasing numbers of people are saying in polls that they would prefer to have a strong man who can come over the top and, and ignore Congress. That's, that's not something we used to see. Whereas now we're saying, to put numbers on it, 
have seen increasingly polls that say somewhere between 30 and 35% of young people would prefer dictatorship to democracy, which is not a majority, but it's more than you'd like to see developing in your system. I would have thought you probably wouldn't want a third of the public to prefer a dictatorship. And that's kind of what's coming in America because they are getting extremely frustrated with their particular system. That was Chaz Licadello from Planet America. You can watch it on ABC iView. It is a very entertaining and a very detailed look at US politics. So get around it. It's called Planet America. And I guess we'll be watching the results from now on um, to see if those seats in the states he mentioned um, will go the direction that he feared. You know, we'll see what that might mean for future elections. Plus, it'll be interesting to see, I guess, how the Republicans go and what this means for Trump's decision whether to run or not in the next presidential election. Tomorrow on The Briefing, we're going into um, the dream space. We're looking at the science of lucid dreaming. Listener.